Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. It does me great pleasure now to formally introduce this week's guest co-host, Rhonda Midget. Rhonda Midget, she's people obsessed, a workplace enthusiast, equity warrior, 25 years of HR leadership, development, DEI, talent acquisition, coaching experience. She also has a master's in HR from Villanova University, bachelor's in business administration, um, Catawba College, and then a certificate in diversity and inclusion from Cornell University. She's also certified John Maxwell leadership coach and trainer, and she's currently serving as an HR manager at Nelson Mullins, an AmLaw 100 firm, and previously a VP and HR manager at TD Bank and First Citizens Banks. She is also the proud mom to a technical sergeant, Nathan Stokes of the U.S. Air Force. I love that mom. There you go. That's right. Thank you for your service, uh, Mr. Nathan. And if you would join me right now, and helping to um, ensure that Rhonda Midget feels welcome as our guest co-host for today. I will stop sharing my screen. I will invite you all to find those accolades, those emojis, those words of just um, validation, but whatever it is, go to the chat, go to the comments, and let's let Rhonda know how much we really appreciate her being here with us. I'm going to add her to the spotlight. And Rhonda, my friend, welcome. Thank you so much for saying yes to our invitation. I am so glad we were able to be able to get you in. And I know today's conversation is gonna be really, really rich. I will go ahead and tell you that we've been touching on the topic of the intersection of HR and DEI. And so I know this community is really gonna to wanna to go in deep on this, right? So much to say about it. But before we get there, Rhonda, one of the things we always ask our guest co-hosts to do is to share with us as they're providing a greeting to this audience, something about yourself that we would not know from reading your bio or from looking at your LinkedIn profile. So welcome, my friend. Thank you so much. It's great, great to be here. Um, I think one of the things that people don't automatically notice or, or assume about me is that you know, I grew up on a farm. My first job was feeding the pigs on my stepfather's farm. And he was retired military and he made it perfectly clear that none of us was mission critical. There were seven of us in a blended family. So everybody had to pull their weight. So when yeah. your first job is as humbling as carrying a bucket of corn to make sure that the hogs get fed so that the family gets fed, you learn very, very quickly how to have a servant mindset. And that's pretty much carried me through my HR career, my DEI career, all the things that we have to do to make sure that the people feel um, cared for and professionally fed in the organizations that I've worked in. And so I think that's kind of like shaped me, you know, it really has. I love that. Professionally fed. I love that. Yes. And nothing is more humbling than uh, feeding pigs and then, you know, taking that that spirit of just servanthood to your family, to your community and bringing it into the workplace. And so that's something we probably all can learn from that. So so thanks so much, Rhonda. So we're going to talk about a lot today, but I want to prioritize the top half of our time and really just getting granular about this conversation of the tension points that can exist between the HR function and the 
DEI function. And I know that we've touched on this a couple different times throughout our weekly um, programming. And it's a big conversation right now. Um, this audience is very keenly aware of my perspective on this. So I'll kind of reserve those thoughts for maybe some newcomers that are here today for the first time. But Rhonda, when you reached out, one of the things that you said was, I want to talk about this. I want to break this down. I am an HR professional and I have some strong opinions about this and I need to talk about it. And you have this platform today. So I just want you to lead in with um, just your, your general thoughts and then we'll we'll get more specific with asking some maybe pointed questions around this topic. Okay, all right. Sounds great. Yeah, so go for it. What are your thoughts about the intersection between HR and DEI? Well, I've lived um, both sides of the fence. I've had a four-year stint where I was the HR person and the DEI person, and mm -hmm. it's exhausting. Um, so it's really very, um, I have to say, a little bit narcissistic to want to amplify the work and the sustainability of the CDO position in organizations, particularly in the one that I'm working in now, which I'm excited to say we do have a, a great relationship. As a matter of fact, I got a go team email from you know our HR, our DI person this morning when I was joining the podcast. But I have a job. You know, we we have our compliance, we have payroll, we have all those things that again professionally feed the people in the organization at all yeah. levels. And so sometimes we can get into that mode, but don't have the full on DEI lens that we need. So it's very much of a service to us and to the organization to have a dedicated resource just to provide that lens on the many things that we have to do on a daily basis. And even in the strategies and the people strategy that we're helping the leaders to determine for the now, for the two years out, you know, I would say three to five years, but COVID cut all of that three to five year strategy out. You know, you have to solve for now. You had to, to get jump into the, the what's going on now. And then there's um, a certain, you know, support mechanism that we have to put in place when someone's new to the organization, because a lot of our diversity folks have not been grown in the business that they are charged to manage diversity for, right? So um, for instance, you know, the first diversity person that, that I really, um, professional that I ever encountered was Natalie Taylor from Foodline many, many years ago. And she is prolific in all of the work that she did for that organization in North Carolina, Virginia, um, and in some time, South Carolina, just representing the company and keeping them communicating with the um, communities of color. Uh, Natalie was born in that organization. She started out as a cashier in a food line store. And so she was able to grow that role with a tremendous amount of business acumen from the front line to the C-suite. And that's what made her so strong. Yeah. What we found or what we are finding is that because there are people now we have diversity as a, an educational path. You know, people can get full-on degrees in it. Sometimes they're coming into organizations without that full-on business acumen, knowing how the business makes its money, knowing who its competitors are, knowing who the stakeholders are, knowing how to communicate to those entrenched powers in the C-suite that you have to go in a certain way even to be heard a certain time of year. If a CDO is hired after the budget season and everything is already allocated 
how does she get money for resources to hire other people to bring in the consultants that she needs? That's where those of us who have been around that business for a minute can help shore that person up and they're not hanging out there in the balance on their own with those you know, conversations that need to be had. And we can leverage our, our relationships that we already have. So it's it can be very symbiotic. It can be beautiful. But if it doesn't go well, if we don't show up and support them and we look up and all of a sudden, like with the Disney CDO that recently left, right? Yeah. The public statement was, you know, she's moving on and her team is being split up into two other areas, the um, talent acquisition team and the communications team. And, you know, I'm not going to be a preacher here, but the scriptures do tell us that for lack of leadership, the people do perish. Uh-huh. And so my heart went out to the team that's now split up into two other areas that are fully functioning, well on their way on completely different paths. Um, so hopefully they will find someone in that role to pull them back together before they lose that talent too. Um, so th- that's that's my 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 soapbox, Nika. I hope that. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a soapbox at all. I appreciate you bringing your perspective to the conversation. And by the way, we love a lively chat. And so as Rhonda and I are discussing um, topics for today, if something resonates with you or there's a resource that comes to mind that you think this community would um, gain value from, please take to the chat. Let us know. Let's make sure we're um, being proximate to each other and using that as an extension of this community. And so I just want to comment on a couple things that that you share. The first is you mentioned that HR and you you use the word compliance. And, um, you know, so when when most people think about HR, they do think about compliance. They do think about the protection of the organization. And so um, and that is a very important role and hat for those professionals to wear. When you think about the role of DEI, it is much more akin to protection of the people, trying to create those opportunities where they currently don't exist, trying to bring perspectives to the tables when decisions are being made that can impact people in ways that maybe those decision makers don't even realize. And so that is where I have found a lot of the tension points to come in when we talk about should DEI kind of fall under HR and or whether or not um, it it needs to be its own entity. And so I I plant that seed and I'm certainly going to want you to react to that. But just to follow along with some of the other points you brought up before as well, you know, you mentioned the educational path. Um, You're so right. This whole DEI work, this discipline of DEI, it is still relatively new. HR has been around for a long time. And even when you think about the, um, the, the curriculum, the all, all of the ways in which those individuals are certified to be professionals in that space, it wasn't until recently that it became uh, a necessity that, oh yes, now we need to very intentionally incorporate some of this learning around the discipline of DEIB into the work and the experience and the training and the upskilling of those professionals. And so for those who have been at this work for a long time and they aren't aligning themselves with opportunities to grow that level of competency from a DEI lens, then would you say that they're at a disadvantage? And so I've tossed two questions out at you, Rhonda. I want to give you a chance to respond. But again, the first was about the compliance, you know, HR being more, you know, for protection of the organization, DEI more protection for the people. And then, you know, that gap in the education that that has not always existed within the HR world. 
So first of all, about um, HR being uh, more compliance driven and so forth. And I think that that's more of a historical view of, of us mm -hmm. because we now understand, um, you know, with the whole, you know, affirmative action going away. And um, just think even back as far as the Lily Ledbetter Act, you know, how she was, she existed for many, many years in an organization where there was HR, right? And it's a very public case where, you know, someone should have caught the fact that she was making 40% less than her male counterparts for many, many years. So the compliance pieces were there and it was a law that says she should have made, you know, equal pay. But I'd like to think if there was more of a, a higher level person for, you know, in the diversity role, it would have had two mechanisms to support making that change before it had to be a Supreme Court decision and then a Barack Obama, you know, act signed to get the lady her money. And it was post-retirement then. She fought that situation from 1998 to 2009. That's a long time to try to get long paid. Time. Long time. So yeah. um, again, whereas we have the compliance and we have the laws and this is where we live, um, you know, we, we're evolving to where we see the value more so of not just, you know, if it's not a law, we don't have to worry about it. If it's not a legislation, we don't have to worry about it, to there's some softer things, there's some grayer areas that we also have to make cases for to support people. And, you know, it's not just talent acquisition, it's in our benefits offering, you know, mm -hmm. basically, you know, healthcare, dental vision or whatever. But the mental health piece has taken off, you know, and we, you know, we are partnering with our DEI people to make sure that we have specific um, you know, mental health offerings by people of color who are practitioners so that our employees of color can get the help that they need by people who can identify with their significant needs. So it's just stretching it out, you know, and, and sharing the load because we fully, again, we will have day jobs in HR, but having someone, and I think it's important that depending on the culture of your organization and the size of your organization, if you can separate it out and let that person focus on that piece of it, it's, it's the ideal situation, right? You know, if you've got 20 employees, you barely have enough resource for an HR person. But if you've got 200, 2,000 employees having a dedicated resource at a high level that isn't necessarily reporting up under HR all the time, you know, a, a dotted line is fine. But having someone who has that seat at the table that you can support, is it's, it's really eye-opening when you're talking about making really transformative change and change that you can sustain for a long mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. Now, the other question was about education and, and yeah, yeah. Um, I, we all need that. That's why I went back and, you know, I, I don't know that I'll ever want to not have my fingers in HR, but um, when I went back and got my certification at Cornell and when I walked through the Raleigh Institute here in South Carolina, which I think may be where you and I met years ago, um, it, it, it really broadened my perspective and it made me have the ability to offer more in the points of my career where the company was not at the point where they were gonna dedicate a full on resource to diversity. So standing in the gap, if you're an HR person and getting that training to understand it, then you're better able to make the case for, hey, you know, I've taken it this far. We really need someone who can just have a full on 
you know, eight hours a day to dedicate to this so that I can see what I might be missing trying to juggle both things. Yeah, absolutely. You brought up some really good points, Rhonda. So I, I appreciate you sharing your insight. Um, and one of the, the points that resonated with me is, yes, obviously the size of an organization, how many employees can dictate whether or not the organization is poised and positioned to be able to have a chief diversity officer and also a chief you know, HR officer, right? And so um, I definitely think that um, in the instances where it's not feasible to have someone that is solely dedicated to the DEI work, then it, it is natural for organizations to place that work under HR, especially this day and time where, um, while it has not always been this way, there was great recognition this day and time that the lens of DEI has to be fully embedded into the HR function and the HR work. And so I wanted just to amplify, amplify that point. Um, you know, some could criticize that this has been reactionary instead of, you know, seeing the work of HR as automatically not just being from a compliance perspective, but also really leaning into the needs of the differences of the workforce and helping to advocate for that. But, um, you know, it is what it is, right? Sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And as this work has evolved and as it has increased in popularity and in need, we've become smarter. And so I don't want this audience to miss that there is an appreciation that I have for those who are HR professionals like yourself, who are advocating for, we need to deepen our knowledge base, you know, so that we can help support the functions of DEI. Yeah. And here's the thing, this is not DEI work. It's not just about the um, the human capital aspect. That's huge. That's a big asset, the biggest asset of all all organizations. But it's also about so many other functions of operations as well. And I think that's also point that is missed by maybe a lot of folks who just automatically make the decision to place DEI under HR. I think about what about the procurement process and the purchasing process? You know, is there a lens of DEI and equity in that? What about your communications? You know, how in which you're reaching different audiences? Is there a lens of DEI in that? So um, I want to pause here for a second and just get you, give you a chance to kind of respond or react to how this, this work of DEI infiltrates the entire organization and how HR are seems to be um, much more um, singularly focused on the human capital aspect. So we have to make sure that we have the talent. So we've had to shift, I would say, the last 10 or 15 years to making sure that we have deep business acumen, how your business works, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so we touch everything, you know, it's particularly, like I said, from talent acquisition to retaining somebody to making sure that we're competitively paying that sort of thing. Um, but for our DEI folks, there is a supplier diversity. There is a looking at our, our, you know, market share. Where do we need to go, right? How do we need to engage in community things? Like since, um, you know, Black Lives Matter and George, George Floyd and all those situations, you know, I have lost count of the big million dollar, hundred thousand dollar donations that have been made. And you just have to wonder that when the smoke clears with mm -hmm. all of that, you know, are we really utilizing the talents of our DEI people to change the course of the business? 
from a very fundamental level. I mean, we have laws and rules that we live by in HR, but you can only legislate so much. You cannot right. legislate the heart and the, you know, the, the, the religious impact that people bring to the table. So we have to allow that DEI lens on every aspect of the business in order to move the business itself for branding, you know, looking at how our commercials are. I remember the backlash with the Cheerios commercial when they had a mixed couple on it. It was Cheerios, you know, it was just, that's all there was to it. So, um, you know, we, we have to be able to sit down, all of us together, the business entities, the people in this entities, and CDI as a pure strategy, energy, just, you know, opinions, processes, all of that to make sure that everybody has the input that we need to have before we take on any major business initiative. It's just that important going forward. It has been for a while. I think those situations that I named earlier called it out, but we really have to make sure that we hold on to it because you know, once you let a really strong CDO go or you disband the department or you roll it back to where it was before, people see that internally and what no matter how you donate it to this cause or that cause or whatever you're not going to retain the talent that you need if you don't you know change things inside yeah so um Rhonda can you talk a little bit about some of the 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 new trends that have um of of recent years come into play um as it relates to considerations that HR professionals um must also have and consider under their purview so like for example I'm seeing in the chat um there was a reference earlier to like mental health and well-being that was not necessarily something that a lot of HR professionals um would have the Develop certain initiatives or programming around. And so can you give other examples of some of those new and evolved trends that are now finding its way as really important consideration sets just from an HR, DEI, you know, leadership perspective? I think taking on um, more of a, a, an active role, particularly when we have like smaller DEI groups and, and collaborating on the training and the development of it, right? Uh, I was saying a colleague a few weeks ago, you know, I'm, I'm just over the whole implicit, unintentional, unconscious, whatever you call it, bias training that seems to be a little remote um, now. Um, I think that there's a point that comes in every organization where you have to make whole people, really, really hold people accountable. Um, because first time, yeah, maybe it was unconscious or implicit. Second and third time, you were wide awake. You knew what you were doing. You knew what you were saying. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, making sure that when we review our policies, that we have things in place that say we are going to act on misbehavior, on bad actors, and really calling it out more than we have before and, and being a stronger voice for that, um, you know, where we want to make sure that we don't have like targeted hiring because that goes against everything. Um, but do how do we cast a wider net? Are we getting out there more? Are we putting our jobs in places where they, you know, people have access to them? And listening more to employees from a lens of not just, well, we didn't break any rules, so there's nothing we could do about it, but really hearing what they're saying and how the workplace is impacting them, the environment, everything from whether or not they have access to 
you know, the sunlight in the, in the, in the workplace. So, you know, how they're getting along with each other. So we're taking more of a approach where we're looking at the environment and how it affects people's emotional well-being, whether or not the work is meaningful. You know, we've got AI hitting us now. And that's such a big thing that, you know, in HR, we're people people. And we like to think that we're intuitive and we think through and we, um, you know, we all that feelings and so forth. And we've got to watch the AI like a hawk. I'm going to a conference in a month or so just to to get a deeper dive in it because we cannot allow it to take the people element out of recruiting or performance Mm -hmm. management. You know, we'll use it to make those things better, but we can't just rest on AI because, you know, the EEOC just, you know, won a case recently where someone, what is it called, robot bias, you know, where someone was proved age discrimination by AI. And that judgment of $365,000 fell on the company, not on the company. So I think if we're talking about things that, you know, are futuristic, um, how we manage that, how we utilize that, how we make sure it doesn't get in the way of the strategies that we have to be more diverse and inclusive um, is, is a big thing for us right now. Yeah, there's there's still a lot more, a lot more to uncover as it relates to AI and how it intersects with DEI and the practices to really maintain um, what DEI is designed to do. And so I, I certainly appreciate you bringing that to the conversation. Um, so Ann White, who's part of our community today, thanks Ann for being here. She placed a, a comment into the chat um, that HR has a key role in culture. And I, I absolutely believe that. And so when I think about what makes a culture he- healthy, it is one where people feel like they can be authentic. They can show up as their best selves, that they have full opportunity for success, right? So that equity piece is definitely ever present. So my question for you, Rhonda, is um, what are some coaching mechanisms or strategies that you may share with HR professionals to help them drive more proactively towards advocacy of principles that support the work of equity. And I'll I'll give you an example. Um, HR professionals are often the ones who are overseeing the talent acquisition. You referenced that a moment ago. That's a big piece of it, of course. And we know that pay equity is something that's really critical for a lot of people. They're asking those questions. They want transparency. So while an HR professional could potentially um, have the position that yes, this transparency is necessary. Yes, we do want to make sure we're being forthcoming. Sometimes there could be tension points because maybe while that HR professional is an advocate of something of that nature, maybe the C-suite other leaders are not very much in favor of just being transparent about salaries, right? And they're like, if someone's willing to come in and take this job for X, then why would we be proactive and mention that, you know, they're kind of underselling themselves? How do you like to navigate some of those challenges and how do you coach other HR professionals to work through those tension points? Tough question, I know. <laughs> it's actually um, a very good question. Um, and yeah, I have to say that that's one area where we stand pretty strong on um, is, is what we used to call lowballing. Um, and I had a, a coach of my own years ago and when I was a recruiter to say, if you throw out peanuts, you get circus acts or you get monkeys. Um, and so, you know, you have to be competitive with pay. I mean, you, you, every company has its own little, um, not little, but their strategy. Either you want to lead with pay 
Um, and then, you know, there are other things about the job that might not be as wonderful. Uh, or you kind of go in the middle and provide opportunities for growth and so forth. So when you're looking at the total package, it's really not, it's about pay, but it's about other things that you are willing to offer that person. And when you get into those negotiations and those conversations, you you just don't want to start out completely, you know, with the lowest, you know, you, you go mid and then you, you, know, you, you go back and forth with it. Um, of course, in every organization, there are the positions where you're going to go premium, right? Because those are your bread and butter. Um, if you're going after a, a, someone who's already entrenched and experienced in their, you know, their field, if they're a banker and they've been with another bank for a long period of time and they're successful and they're bringing a big book of business and they're going to be, you know, someone that you're going to negotiate a little higher for. But with every position, you want to go big or stay home these days because mm -hmm. um, particularly with your Zers and your Xers, you know, those, those, those people are just, they want to know up front and you've got several states that make you put them. The Absolutely. And so why yeah. just, just do it for everybody. Don't wait for a state yeah. mandated. Be, be frank, be open about what you can offer and what you offer in addition to pay and be as yeah. good. Yeah, the total the total rewards package. Thank you for that. So momentarily, I am going to shift to um, your audience um, and allow you to share questions, comments, to contribute to the conversation in whatever way that feels appropriate. And so as you percolate on maybe those curiosities that are bubbling up for you, make note of them. Um, if you're part of the Zoom community, you can let me know that you would like to present your question by using the raise hand feature. And I will call on you. I'll add you to the spotlight and allow you to unmute yourself to share. Um, if you want to just go to the chat and place your question there, we will make sure within the time that we have that we'll do our best to try to get to your question. And I already see a question that's coming from our LinkedIn Live audience group. And so we'll get to that um, momentarily. So here is what I want to ask you about next while folks are thinking about perhaps their questions for you, Rhonda. Um, so how can we help ensure that the teams holding the work of implementing DEI initiatives, ERG leaders, BRG leaders, you know, um, DEI council committee members that they are not overlooked and I think that HR has some influence and role over that especially in the absence of maybe like a DEI dedicated professional in that organization but what are some what are some practices to help ensure that those individuals doing this hard work are not overlooked well you you you've got to measure you've got to have measures that matter uh, sometimes we tend to have, you know, charts here and there and, and projections and so forth, but you've got to determine a good three to five measures that impact the business, you know, if it's retention, if it is market share, whatever is on that C-suite's business agenda, DEI has to be right in line with it. Now that creates a necessity for transparency from the C-suite, mm -hmm. right? They mm -hmm. have to tell you what they're after, what they're going for in the next year or so, and then apply those same measures and regularly check in. Like if you're, um, if you have resource groups and, and they are for LGBTQ plus or what have you, are we doing the things internally to retain and support and that's very easily measured by how many people you actually retain. Or if you do an engagement survey with your employees, you know, what are they saying that their needs are? 
and don't do a survey if you're not going to pay attention to what people ask for in the survey. So um, if they're asking for more engagement opportunities, if they're asking for more events internally, if they're asking for more advancement opportunities or to be mentored, mentoring is huge in organizations where you, know, you have, because the whole point of diversity is that you identify those areas where there are smaller amounts of people than, than in the mainstream of the organization. So um, holding on to those people and having those measures in place that say, we've reached out, we've done this because it was asked for and constantly showing and telling. It's huge to show and tell once you know what it is that they're looking for. Um, and making sure that at, at the end of the day, you, you've got to pay equally. You've got to give the equal access to learning and development and training. And if your learning and development team is strong enough to where you can offer different ways to learn, not just from a, you know, just your basic access online or whatever, but if someone learns differently and they need a one-on-one -on -one as opposed to a group setting, diving deeper to make sure that when you have certifications offered and you have opportunities offered for people to get the information that they need, to get the training that they need to grow in the organization, that you don't always have to go outside to buy talent. You can develop from within. And that's probably the biggest thing that a lot of organizations should be focusing on now is where are those areas and where are those talents and where are those skills that we're gonna need in the next couple of years? What's our succession planning looking like? And if our succession plan hasn't changed in the last five to 10 years, th there needs to be a huge conversation with whoever's responsible for DEI there. Because if people don't see themselves in the future of your organization, if you're not tapping into them and reaching out, then that's gonna hit your retention goals. And somebody's got to an answer for that, right? Um, yeah. So those are some yeah. I think that we need to really focus on is, is that growing from within and reaching out to those diverse populations and saying, hey, do we need to help you grow in a different way? Do we need to, to sidestep maybe the norm and meet you where you are, you know? Yeah, yeah I would love to see greater um, intentionality for the individuals within these organizations that are taking on the uh, additional work. And I say additional work because most often it's it's without pay, it's without any type of recognition. Mm -hmm. And what I'm speaking of is like leading ERGs and BRGs and supporting very specific other DEI initiatives that um, are uh, layered on top of their primary responsibilities, if you will. So as you talk about succession planning and really helping people to be groomed for greater opportunities in the organization. My hope is that there's going to be some additional intentionality around organizations looking at those leaders, um, especially in situations where maybe they aren't yet at a place to where they're committed to or even as feasible to be able to compensate them on, on top of whatever kind of, you know, compensation package they currently have. There um, are other ways to reward and recognize, you know, having yeah. a specific DEI you know, award at the end of the year for people who have taken that on because it is a lot, you know, but yeah. also understanding that these people are showing leadership capabilities in the way that's afforded to them. So they may not have a VP title. They may not have, you know, a, a high level position, 
but this is a way to recognize and acknowledge that people from any chair, you know, from all walks of, of the company um, org chart can show, hey, I can, I can contribute, I can lead, I can grow, I can manage a, a, a project, if you would, that contributes to the bottom line of the company by helping to retain and support diverse talent. And yeah. so to step up like that, you really do need to, even if it's a bonus at the end of the year mm -hmm. to work yeah. and definitely acknowledge it on their reviews. Don't, don't let it go unrecognized. Yes, yes, yes. They don't encourage yeah. more people to do the work. Yeah, great points. And so if organizations have reached a, a pretty firm decision that the present time is not feasible for them to actually you know, provide some type of extra compensation, then I love the idea of a, of a secondary option, thinking about other ways to make sure that they are valued while they're doing the work, whether it is through a bonus or a stipend or, you know, building it into their performance review process and, and, and their recognition um, and the opportunities for upward movement upward mobility because they are taking on those additional projects is really is really important. So here's a question, Rhonda, that comes from our LinkedIn community. Does DEI confront the issues of nepotism in the workplace? It should. Um, and again, it goes, this speaks, this is, a, this is a culture question for sure. Yeah. Um, if it's a mom and pop company and it's, you know, Joe Brown's, <laughs> you know, shoe shop or whatever, uh, and it's just grown into this entity, then, you know, it, the succession plan is probably going to include Joe Brown Jr. or, or Joe yeah. That's just kind of the nature of that culture. Um, however, in, in larger organizations where we, have a lot more scrutiny on those sorts of things. We tend to have policies in place that say, you know, that person can't um, report to someone that they're related to, that sort of thing, and mm -hmm. we address it as, as need be. But there's always, always going to be um, the caveat that sometimes the sustainability of the business is in question, and we may have to, you know, look a different way at that policy. But for the most part, DEI, I would say, works with HR within whatever the policy has established for that company. And it's not the hugest focus, I would say, um, for that group. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. Thank you for your insights on that. Um, so I'm seeing something in the chat right now that relates to um, a statement that was made a moment ago about how HR is responsible for culture. It's all about really the culture of the organization. And we have seen a trend of a number of organizations that have um, reframed the way in which they talk about the HR function, you know, so a lot of, a lot of times now we're seeing people in culture, you know, things of that nature. And so um, just what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I love it. I'm here for all of it. Um, I think as you informed everyone in the beginning, I've been in this you know, HR space for over 25 years. And um, I've seen it go from personnel to human resources yeah. to, you know, chief. now everybody's a chief people officer or what yeah. have you. Um, and I love the, the progress because at the end of the day, I think somehow we did get a little... Um, you know, black and white, when it's really a, a great profession, you know, you have to kind of look at all things considered before you make a decision, before you implement a policy, before you, you know, grow your own HR acumen. And so the whole idea of it being uh, people focused is so that we don't lose while we got into it in the first place. And mm -hmm. the fact that, 
you know, yes, we want to be having that seat at the table, um, but we're there to represent the people in the organization and to make sure that they are treated fairly, they're paid fairly, they have the same opportunities. And um, again, when we're having to have that conversation for what we know is necessary um, for the DEI space, it's nice to have someone else in the trenches. And I would think that for the DEI professionals, it's nice to have the HR person and your two voices instead of one against yeah. all the other bottom right. line. You know, this is how we got to make money. And this is a side thing. Cause it, and, you know, I, I say that, you know, as a, as a HR person for many years, not too long ago, we were kind of on those chopping blocks too. Is it, do we have to have all of you people? You know, how many people does it take them to run payroll? What well, yeah, is yeah. a piece of what we do, you know? So if we have, if we have forgotten what that felt like, shame on us when we watch, you know, as our, our, you know, our diversity folks get disbanded and, and, you know, go on the chopping block. We should be like, oh, no, 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 no. We've been here. It's not a good idea. Um, so protecting the culture is a lot of what we do, um, a lot of behind the scenes. We do get it from both sides. Like sometimes the employees ask for things that we just can't do for them, you know, we, and we we try to explain it as best we can, but we do as much as we can to keep the culture positive and inclusive. Yeah, no, absolutely. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, so I want to I want to go to this next question, and I, I'm prefacing this by saying that there there you know in this world of DEI we try to avoid generalizations and stereotypes, but in the context of this HR discussion and people that are leading in that capacity, one particular population of people in that profession is really being criticized these days. And I want to just get your perspective on why do you think that is, and um, what. What do you think that that group needs to be aware of? And I'm talking about white women HR professionals. Mm, mm. Um, I think that the ones I work with, um, for the most part, have a lot of good intentions at heart. And um, HR has always kind of been like the, one of the, the places that we've been in survival mode for many, many years. Mm. So I think that um, there are possibly some out there who, in the context of being in survival mode, scrappling for resources for HR in a traditional sense for their teams and so forth, um, may not have put themselves in the best positions or communicated to um, the diversity issue at hand in a way that makes them look like they are as open-minded or as devoted to that part of the people culture mm -hmm. as they are to the more functionary aspects of HR. Mm -hmm. Why, you know, the, the diversity piece, sometimes if it's under HR, depending on who that person is running yeah. HR, doesn't get the attention and the resources that it really, really needs to thrive and moving it out from that person who's been in survival mode, getting things done, doing the right things, doing the, the again, the functionary things um, is a good idea as soon as the company has the opportunity to do it in some mm -hmm. cases. 
Yeah, yeah. That, that's probably thank about you. as safe as I can respond. <laughs> thank you for leaning into that. I I know that that was that that can be a a, a yeah, yeah, I, I think it, again, it absolutely depends on that person. Again, yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and yeah. there are some, you know, non-white, you know, HR absolutely. people who are yeah, not absolutely all about, you know, yeah. making that stretch. So I think it's just what yeah. the organization has allowed and what we need to evolve. Into yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, some good um, conversations are happening in our chat. Someone just shared that um, I always have lots of feelings and reflections when I consider cis white women being in HR roles where they are in charge of regulation and enforcement of policies that directly impact marginalized workers. You know, so, so many thoughts, I'm sure, ruminate for so many people. Um, and I don't think that this phenomenon of, um, um, you know, calling in the behaviors of Karens is is helping, you know, because it's really just kind of highlighting the the potential harm that can come and that, you know, there's evidence that it has come from people not being, um, you know, fully well aware of the, the implications of how in which they show up to report and to and to make claims around um, certain people of color and their actions. And so I, I think it's I think it's an important and relevant conversation to this broad topic. And so it's I, education and training that needs to happen all around on both yeah. sides. Like I think yeah. that it's a disservice for DEI people to not dig a little bit deeper past the visual of there may be a white woman or, or a cisgender person running HR and understand the weight of that role yeah. and the responsibility yeah. of that role and what comes crashing down when things aren't done. I mean, just the simplest little things. Somebody's paycheck is 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 five cents off. The entire HR function gets blasted, right? They don't come yeah. from DEI people. They come from us. Right. And we're human too, right? Um, so understanding that if you are in an organization and you feel like there's a lack of awareness for your specific area, Ask for a meeting with your HR professional. If, if it's the HR business partner for your business unit um, or your HR head, or wherever it is you think that lies and bring the education with you. Say, hey, I represent X group and we have these concerns and we feel like HR could do this. You know, Bring us some solutions. We don't have them all. But if you yeah. want to have that conversation, I don't know of any um, of any color HR professional that will not sit down with you and listen. You know, if you just you know criticize us on the, the company internet and that kind of stuff, you know, then you've already kind of created a wall. But get on our calendars. I, I don't think that I know of I've ever worked with one that isn't willing to to be educated on what our blind side may or may not be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I I appreciate that. I, I do think that the um the the extra precaution to make sure that white cis women, even white cis men who are leading, you know, kind of the people and the culture functions of organizations are keenly aware of um, what they don't know 
and how they need to lean into the educational aspects of getting proximate to understanding those lived experiences so that they don't fall into a trap of unintentionally operating from a lens that is, is not equitable, that is not um, indicative of, of really trying to create opportunities of success for all. And so I think that if nothing else, that question sparked us to be able to land at that really important, valuable point that I hope that um, is, is, is being heard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have just a few moments left, and I would love to give you an opportunity, Rhonda, to close us out in whatever way that feels appropriate for you. And so what did I not ask you about today that you're feeling a lot of energy around and you want to socialize to this community? Or um, again, just close us out in whatever way that feels appropriate to you. I think probably the reason I reached out to you is, is this article that I read that said, even in 2023, 47% of workers in the U.S. and Canada, and I think it was Culture App, AMP, AMP, that put this out there, are not comfortable raising claims or reaching out to HR when they feel discriminated against, harassed, or what have right. you. And, you know, having been someone who was born in 64 when the Civil Rights Act was signed. It just troubles me that we are no further than almost half of the people in the workplace. And mm -hmm. in HR, will we see how we have these major performance metrics. Did so-and-so make this many sales this month? Did so-and-so file the reports on time, Did, whatever the jobs is and the measures that we have in terms of performance. I really want to encourage all of, of my colleagues in HR and, and, and mm -hmm. DEI to work together to get down to the root of the fact that some people may be missing the mark on those annual performance or mid-performance because they are carrying around this emotional tax of not being able to be who they are fully in the workplace Absolutely. or they have come under discriminatory jokes at the water cooler or you know it's just feeling that their manager you know I had a manager one time that walked in every day and fist bumped me and I just finally was like you know I'm black but could you relate to me as a professional I was in HR you know most of the people in my community, we just don't walk around fist bumping people a lot of the time. But that's how he thought he should relate to me. And when we had the conversation, um, it was with another person at present, and she got the same treatment. And she was offended because she was younger, and she thought he wasn't respecting her because she was younger. I mm -hmm. thought he thought it was a black thing. He just, you know, he was oblivious to the fact that he was bothering either one of us. So yeah. once we got that out of the way, we had a much better relationship. And so I say that to say that if you have any of that weight on you, that I, we we have spaces and we have tools in place that you should step up or what have you. And that I don't know of a company our size, smaller or you know or larger, that doesn't have a no no retaliation policy that we really really deep, dive deep in on. And more so now than we did 10 or 15 years ago. So, you know, we need to open the door a little wider, make space for people to step up, make it safe for them to step up. And mm -hmm. I think that 
on the on the other side. I'm hoping that people who may hear this will pass the word that a little bit of courage goes a long way, but you don't have to suffer in silence in your organizations. Yeah, you do not have to suffer in silence in your organizations. Certainly easier said than done for some people, but I think just socializing it and making people aware that that is an option, that is a response, right? Um, is, is important. So thank you so much, Rhonda, for being here today. We appreciate your insight. We appreciate you sharing and um, wishing this entire podcast community a great and safe weekend. And don't forget that tomorrow is Women's Equality Day. Um, I often like to share that we are taking testimonials. And so if you're part of this podcast community and something has been said today or this experience has been worthwhile for you, we invite you to um, click on the link that's been placed into the chat or into the comments if you're joining by LinkedIn Live. Let us know um, what your experience has been. We'd love to be able to share that out as we continue to grow this community. Uh, thank you all so very much. Bye-bye.